You're listening to XVGM Radio.
Welcome to XVGM Radio, where the bits keep coming. I'm Mike. And I'm Justin. And this is Episode 7, Commodore 64 Downports. Now, you're probably very confused. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I guess allow us to explain. So this episode, we are going to be talking about the Commodore 64 and the games that were ported from their big brothers to these little 8-bit console. Right, right. A, like a, a game that was put out on a possibly another 8-bit console or right. a, a 16 or 32-bit console that was then sort of brought backwards in time to this this older 8-bit world. Right, right. Yeah, basically downported. This was a very popular thing to do in the late 80s, early 90s, just because consoles were very popular back then. And they were getting a lot of like really strong franchise-based games. And so the Commodore 64 took advantage of that through various deals with different developers and publishers. So that's what we're going to be talking about. And the track that we came in on, uh, two different tracks, the first part of the track was Ghostbusters for the Commodore 64, and the second part was New Ghostbusters 2, which was for the NES that came out in 1990, and that was a PAL and Japanese exclusive. So, yeah, what do you think of that that little comparison? I mean, I'll say that I'm a little bit upset that in second game was a an exclusive that we didn't get. Because I know. That, that sounded awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, the game is great. It's definitely way different than the the first Commodore 64 track, which is more of a comparison or a better comparison with the first NES game, which is right, a right. terrible, terrible game in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, the game wasn't that great, and the uh, the music was not that it was terrible, but it was not. Uh, it it does, definitely doesn't measure up to what, what we just heard at the end there. Absolutely. But the uh, the Commodore 64 track was was really interesting because uh, it was very easily identifiable as the Ghostbusters theme. I mean, even without the Ghostbusters ECM <laughs> sample there. You mean Ghostbusters? Yeah, that sounds yeah. more accurate, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was inter- interesting to hear how they put that song together with the 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 sounds that that you can make with uh, with the Commodore sixty four and uh, that's not to say that the Commodore sixty four doesn't have good music sure. or or doesn't sound good because some of the tracks that we're gonna play in a little bit sound really really good like yeah. I, I enjoyed hunting for for these for for some of these games yeah um, it was definitely it was a challenge very very much so yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah this is gonna be kind of like a versus episode in the sense that uh, it's the Commodore sixty four tracks versus these supposedly superior tracks and you know you can kind of compare and contrast they're not always going to be the same no track (laughs) we picked a lot of different stuff and so you know we're going to play it for you but first the sid chip that is the sound chip in the commodore 64 so the sid chip uh, sid is short for sound interface device Oh, good. I thought it was going to be something worse. Yeah. <laughs> what did Sudden you think? infant death chip. Yes. No. Or like a soothing indigo doule. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> You're really reaching. I am. I'm trying to think of something goofy. I don't know. Scream. Soft inside door? <laughs> I don't know. Soothe, soothe. Why do I keep going back to soothing? Soothing, yeah. Soothing. No. Uh, screaming. Iron Death Chamber. Death Chamber. There we go. <laughs> yes. This chip was also used in a number of, of other Commodore computers, consoles. Computer I th- consoles? I think, I, th- I, think they're, I think they're considered 
computers. So the, <laughs> either way, so it was also used in the VC10, which is also known as the Commodore Max, the C64, and the C128. Yes. It has difficulty being emulated, even with today's advanced sound technology. I mean, it's mostly due to combining the analog and digital circuitry of the chip. So, um, you know, you can get it to sound close, but it's not 100% perfectly emulated at this point. So Interesting. interesting. Yeah. That's kind of weird. It's kind of cool. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a reason to maybe own the console and yeah. get some of those sounds out of it. I should console. Either way, um, <laughs> it also contains three tone generators that are known as voices. Right. And there's four wave effects that make up the sound, the triangle, sawtooth, rectangle pulse with modulation, and white noise, which is generally used for like drums. Oh yeah, the hi-hats yeah. or the cymbals and stuff. It's yep, yep. kind of white noisy. Yeah. So it has programmable filters with low pass, high pass, and band pass. Yes, and there's more to this chip than this, but without getting too technical, it's easy to see how advanced this chip was and how it was really ahead of its time. It's still widely used today by like demo scene and chiptune artists, and some of those guys came up with the Commodore 64 and some of those composers oh, yeah. you're going to see in this episode. So, yep, yep. Um, and, and yeah. some of those composers you uh, you may already be familiar with or we may have talked about before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So as far as the Ghostbusters tracks, I definitely prefer the NES track versus the Commodore 64. Not that the Commodore 64 is bad, but it's just that whole game just is tainted to me (laughs) because it's so bad on the NES and I've never played the Commodore 64 version, but because the game is the same, I can't imagine it's Oh yeah, because the Commodore 64 version is a downport of the the NES version. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. I mean, they were both 8-bit style systems in that sense, but you know, some people would say that the Commodore 64 had superior audio. I think it's kind of like in the eye of the listener yeah. or the, the ear, the ear of, the of the listener. Beholder. Yeah, yeah. The ear of the beholder. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely prefer this NES track, but again, it's like a year later. The, the track, of course, is originally composed by Ray Parker Jr., oh, yes. uh, who did the original Ghostbusters theme for the movie. Yeah. David Crane, we think, did the Commodore 64 version just because he's labeled as programmer and there's no sound credits whatsoever. Right. So he's the only programmer that's listed. David Crane, of course, you know, famous for like Pitfall, like the whole Pitfall mm-hmm. series. So one thing about the Commodore 64. So I, I'm not sure if I if I understood this correctly because I'm I'm not someone who grew up with the with the C64. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I've only ever played one once. My understanding is that the, mu- the music doesn't play during gameplay. Music only plays during like menu or when you're sitting at a screen. Is that right? Uh, it depends. So there are some games where it only plays and like there's very few tracks mm-hmm. and it'll only be like the main menu music that happens it's similar to the amiga in the sense that you can't have sound effects and music at the same time Uh, some some games will let you like pick and choose what you want if you want just music or if you want just sound so it it really all depends interesting yeah yeah and then the new ghostbusters 2 track because that game was developed by hal laboratories was done by jun ishikawa known for almost every single kirby game that's ever come out (laughs) um so starting with Kirby's Dreamland in 1992. He was the sound composer on. So, yeah, that's mostly what he's done. Uh, Arcana in 1992, which was that, like, RPG game. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Box Boy and Box Box Boy in 2016. <laughs> and then his last game was Bye Bye Box Boy in 2017. He was oh. the lead sound designer on that. And then Kirby's Blowout Blast in 2017. So, mm. Junichi Kao is still a huge, huge part of HAL Laboratory, still working today. 
So it's always nice hearing yeah. from him. He does great work. Yes, he does. Yeah. So what are we going to start this shebang off with? Yes, this shebang is getting shebanged with <laughs> Golden Axe, which this is my pick. This is the Commodore 64 version. The way we're going to do this is we're going to play the Commodore 64 version, then we're going to come back really brief, and we're going to introduce the next version of the song that we that we each picked. So I picked the Golden Axe. This is the Commodore 64 port that came out in 1990. The track is called Wilderness, and it's by Yaron Tell.
Next, we're going to listen to Golden Axe on the Genesis. And this came out in 1989. This is also Wilderness. And this is by Nankyoku, also known as Yu Takata, as well as Deki and Imaki.
right, welcome back. That was Golden Axe. That was on the Commodore 64 and Sega Genesis. Uh, the Commodore 64 version came out in 1990 and the Genesis in 1989, a year before. The track on both sides is called Wilderness and that's Commodore 64 versions by Yaron Tell. And the Genesis version is by Nankyoku and Deki and Imaki. Now, Nankyoku, we think, is Yu Takada, who worked on ESWAT and Gang Ground. Uh, he was never officially credited for this track, but really? supposedly he did this track. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Deki and Imaki maybe are obviously like synonyms for, yeah. you know, whatever their actual names are, but. I searched high and low and could not find any information on Deki or Imaki, so yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, Yaron Tell is a longtime composer who started working on the Commodore 64 as like a demo scener, did a bunch of like retro soundtrack stuff like Starball, did the Savage in 1988, <laughs> the Savage, <laughs> Cybernoid, the Fighting Machine in 88, um, I'll just list a couple more. Robocop 3 did the music on the NES and Commodore 64 versions. But, but there was no Robocop 3. Uh, there was a game, uh, <laughs> it was based on a fan fiction movie that was not real. I refuse to believe that there was a third Robocop movie. Yeah, worked on Cybernoid 2 in 2002, Rhino Rumble in 2002, did a port of Contra in 2006. I'm not sure what port that was, but uh, Russian Attack, Gyrus, and Tiki Towers to Monkey Republic in 2011. He was credited as a sound howler. Sound howler. Sound Ooh. howler, yeah. And then the, gy the Gyrus, or Gyrus, I never know how to say that. I think that's just like an enhanced version that came out for the Xbox 360. Same thing with Russian Attack. So. Are you sure it's not Heroes? Yeah, I don't think so. Gyro? Gyro. Gyro, Gyro yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, it always reminds me of that Simpsons episode, the one where uh, uh, Chief Quimby is like, yeah, let me get one of them, uh, <laughs> one of them gyros. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gyrus, Gyrus, however you want to say it, and Russian Attack were both ported to the Xbox 360 mm. uh, as part of their like live arcade thing. So very very busy guy. Yeah, he My is. He's, he's still active today too. So. Yes, Yorontel is working on, or at least he was working on something called Tess and Tell, which was his at the time girlfriend, or I don't know if they're still together, or I don't know. That's not really any of our business. But yeah, he was doing a project with her called Tess and Tell. And then also, he's part of Maniacs of Noise, which was a uh, demo scene group as well, if I recall. So, that is your own tell. Yeah, he's done some really fantastic Commodore 64 stuff. It's kind of what he's known for. I love that little intro part, that really epic, like, very, very bassy. Really I, epic. I like it. it, it the, the, the sawtooth wave was very very well used mm -hmm. throughout uh, throughout his track i agree um, i would actually say that i prefer the commodore 64 track to the genesis track in this case yeah i mean i like the genesis track i don't think it's a bad song at all no no it's just i think i prefer the arpeggios in the commodore 64 version yep. to the genesis version which is a little softer sounding it's not as menacing yeah. I, I thought it's more like it's it sounds more like an orchestral kind of vibe that they were going for and I, to be honest with you i think this is one of the best sounding orchestral style soundtracks on the genesis, genesis. Yeah, yeah because the genesis to me has always struggled with 
orchestral sounding stuff, the Super Nintendo always blew it out of the water with that. Mm -hmm. So to hear a track that came out so early in the in Genesis's life cycle that sounds as good as this, like it's it's still very impressive to this day. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I didn't I, like, I didn't hate the Genesis track. Mm. Um, I just found that. The Commodore 64 track, it felt more full to me. The, yeah. Um, the Genesis track, it felt very high-pitched, a little bit shrill at times. Yeah, yeah. Again, not to say that it was it was awful or anything. Mm. Like, I would listen to it again. Like, I would play that game. I have played that game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the Genesis version is completely way more playable. Oh, yeah. Than the, I, can only, I would imagine. It's bad. I've played it. It's <laughs> horrendous. Oh. It's very slow. It It's just bad like and that's unfortunately the the thing with these downports is the games typically suffer but the music doesn't so that's right. kind of why we're showcasing the music to kind of highlight at least one positive out of yeah. the the game's ports so. that makes sense is it so bad that this is the kind of thing you would call a um soundtrack delivery system yes <laughs> yeah absolutely uh i would never ever recommend playing this game it's just bad 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 on the six on the C sixty four. Right, right. Genesis version's great. Great game. Very faithful to the arcade version for the most part. So Yeah. That's stuff. actually one of the other things that that I noted about the about these two tracks, mm. or rather like the Commodore sixty four track is it was it kept very faithful to mm. the track. It did, um, other than the intro. The right, little right. intro but bit. The, yeah. The intro I think is kinda of what, what what took it over the edge. Oh absolutely. Um, I, the intro was really great, but then once it got into like the main melody I was surprised at how much it, it, it sounded like. Because oh, a lot of these other ones, we're going to play two tracks and they're not going to sound the same. Right, right. So yeah, this is this is a really good example of the composer, or rather in this case the arranger, yep. utilizing the full power of the Commodore 64 SID chip and really making it his own, despite the fact that he, he's really just arranging a track that's already been composed. So, Right, yes. All right, so what do you got for us? What are we moving on to? So the next game, games, game that we're going to hear from is going to be Double Dragon. So we're going to start off with the Commodore 64 port of Double Dragon. That was done by Melbourne House, not the one done by, I think it was Ocean. Right. This was released in 1988, and the track is called Title Screen, Arrival of the Black Warriors. And the composer on this is Charles Deenan.
And next up, we're going to hear Double Dragon on the NES. That came out in 1987. And the track is called Missions 1, 3-4, and 4-4. It's also known as Billy and Jimmy Lee's Theme. And that was composed by Kazunaka Yamane. So we just listened to Double Dragon on both the C64 and the NES. The Commodore 64 release was the Melbourne House release, not the Ocean release. That came out in 1988, which was a year after the NES release in 1987. The Commodore 64 track was called Title Screen, Arrival of the Black Warriors, and was composed by Charles Deenan. And the NES track was called Missions 1, 3-4, and 4-4, also known as Billy and Jimmy Lee's theme, and that was composed by Kazunaka Yamane. Yeesh! What a mouthful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, Kazunaka Yamane technically composed both. So Charles Deenan is actually the The arranger. arranger. Right, 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 right. Um, it's probably going to be the case in well, any, any anything where the where the theme is the same, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to, they're going to be an arranger. So that makes sense. Should have said that. <laughs> Double Dragon sounds like the name of a really bad adult film. I'm sure it probably is. Right? Like, 
Oh, you're gonna give me both of your dragons, like uh, the double dragon. <laughs> uh, I, I feel, I feel like that, like that is a thing, and I don't oh, want to know. <laughs> if, if that is not a thing, it should be. Um, I, I would say that the double dragon movie is pretty horrendous. Uh, uh, it's one of the worst movies uh, I've ever seen. One of the worst video game movies out there. I, I gotta say, all right. So musically. I was really impressed with the Commodore 64 version. So was I. Yeah. I, I, I was actually really happy with it as it was um, as it was going on. Um, I, I really liked the driving baseline. Mm-hmm. I mean, the baseline is there in the NES version, but uh, it was it was more prominent uh, on the Commodore 64. Mm. Uh, I mean, we're a few songs in, and I'm already feeling like the Commodore 64 has a very very strong uh, just. It has, it has strong bass work, mm-hmm. um, absolutely, which makes me want to go and listen to more Commodore 64 stuff. <laughs> the I will say that the tempo is a little slowed down yes. on the Commodore 64 version, and I actually really like that. It gives it enough room for the track to kind of breathe, and you get to hear all the different melodies. The problem, though, is that it starts to chop them up a little bit yep. more, so it starts to, as the track, especially like in those crazy solos that you'll hear in the NES version <laughs> later on in the track, it kind of like breaks those up a little bit and so they yeah. don't sound as good no I would agree the yeah. the guitar solo um, at, at the end on the Commodore 64 one um, I it, it, it made me smile um, mm. just because I, I thought it was really well done especially <laughs> with the hardware I mean when we got to it in the NES version I was like oh yeah that's what it's supposed to sound like <laughs> it's, it's like it's like when you see a little kid trying to do something like really adult <laughs> like when a little kid comes in and they're wearing like big people clothes and like a big person hat <laughs> like a full suit and you look at yeah. them and you're like oh you're trying so hard to be an adult but you just can't yeah so no that, that, that's fair yeah <laughs> uh, I feel like everybody's played this game, and I know that's obviously sure. not literally the case, but right. everybody we know has played Double Dragon on the NES. Yes. And there, there's a whole lot to be said about like how classic this song is. It's the first you know, level theme. Mm. There's a lot, of, a lot of nostalgia tied up in it. You're going to kill me, but I'm not that big of a fan of Double Dragon 1. No? I really, I kind of feel like it's meh. I don't know. I like the Master System port a lot better, actually. And this is coming from a Nintendo dude. Yeah. Like... I reviewed this way back when, like years ago on my channel, and I did this, I did the Master System version and the Game Boy version, and overall I liked the Master System version the best, it had the best colors and the best, like, it it was more modeled after the arcade game. In the NES game, it's more like you get to level up your, your abilities, like, as you get advanced in the game the second game i don't think does that that's why i always like the second game a lot better and also the second game was the first one i ever played so Uh. um that's you know kind of the reason why i prefer the sequel to the original double dragon not a bad game just not my favorite in the series that's fair. I yeah. mean, there, there there are a lot of games, especially like first game in the series NES games that I, I think I sort of feel the same way about. Mm. Uh, like I'll I'll see them and I'll be like, oh, I haven't played this in a while. I remember enjoying this game, mm. uh, and then I play it and I play it for a few levels before I'm just like, and I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> and the sequel is better, right? Yeah, I hear you. So Charles Deenan, I've I've never heard the name, but apparently he's done like everything. Everything, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is listed for so many things. Out of this world in 1992, Lost Vikings in '93. He yes. did the original Super Nintendo soundtrack. Yep, yeah. he did the uh, the soundtrack for Mario Teaches Typing in 1992. Oh, fun! <laughs> Wolfenstein 3D in 1995. So, so, it's so dense. Yeah. There's so much stuff in here. Baldur's Gate, a lot of the Baldur's Gate games, Need for Speed, did a lot of the Need for Speed oh, games. Oh, yes. 
a number of Star Trek games as well. Yeah. Academy, New World, Starfleet Command. Planescape, Skylanders, Star Wars Battlefront. Just like mostly <gasps> later on. favorite in... games? Uh-huh. Saints Row 4. Yeah, Saints Row 4. He was the re-recording mixer. Uh-huh. He's done mostly like audio directing and sound supervising for the most part. Yeah. Um, like later in his career, not as much composition. Yeah, it looks like Need for Speed was like some of his last like audio work as far as composition goes. Yeah, yeah. And then Kazunaka Yamane pretty much just worked for uh, the company that made uh, Double Dragon, which I believe was Technos. Double Dragon in Double 1987. Double Dragon 2 1998. Yeah. Super Double Dragon 1992. Combat Tribes in 1990, which is kind of like a double... It, I, I can't really say a rip-off because the same company made it. Right. But it's it's kind of like, you know, another beat-em-up, you know, in the, in the style kind of similar to Double Dragon. Yep. So. And then uh, credited for original game music in Bobo's Big Adventure in 2012. Yes, <laughs> but that's mostly just... The original game music. Right, yeah. right. Also did a game called Shadow Force in the arcade, which is looking kind of like a like Double Dragon clone as well. But uh, it looks really impressive. I'll have to check that out. Nice. Well, it looks like Janine, our wonderful producer, is signaling us to pick up our very first Patreon-supported call. Ooh, exciting. Yeah, let's go ahead and take a listen. Uh, hey, who do I have on the line? Hey, this is Alex Messenger. I'm a patron of the show, and my pick is Stage 5 from Ghouls and Ghosts for the Commodore 64. All right, well, let's go ahead and listen to it.
Hey, welcome back. That was Ghouls and Ghosts on the Commodore 64, and that was the 1989 port by Tim Fallon. That track was Stage 5. And it looks like, oh, we're getting another call. And Already? Wow. Yeah. All right. Caller, you're on the air. What can we do for you? Hey, guys. This is Alex Bessinger again. Uh, since this is a comparison episode, I want to compare my previous track, which was Stage 5, from Ghouls and Ghosts for the Commodore 64 to a track from Super Ghouls and Ghosts for the SNES, and that track is Ice Force. All right, that sounds great. We can definitely do that for you. Hey, what's your favorite radio-based VGM podcast? XVGM Radio. All right, let's hit it. Have you ever wanted to play the Commodore 64 on the go? Now, 
Why would I? Well, now you can! Thanks to Tremil Industries, the Commodore 64 can be modified to soothe your Commodore 64 on-the-go needs. Call an order today and we'll send you a prepaid box that you ship your Commodore 64 system and monitor to us in, and we'll use our secret technology to make your C64 portable. Wow, that's oddly impressive. How does it work? It's a secret! Oh, okay. Well, look at that. It just arrived. Hey, the system just has a car phone battery taped to it, and the monitor is glued to the console. That's the Tremail way. Order now for rush shipping between two weeks to five years. Just six low monthly payments of $49.88 with a down deposit of $4,000. That's ridiculous. I'm not paying that. Features a brand new game with an all-new Tim Fallon soundtrack. Sold. Call 866 555-6464 today! Void in Utah. Note, portable battery may explode or corrode within five minutes of use. Warning, Tim Fallon new soundtrack may melt eardrums. Seriously, Void in Utah. Welcome back to the XVGM Radio Podcast Show. We just listened to the Commodore 64 version of Ghouls and Ghosts Stage 5. The game came out in 1989 and was composed by Tim Fallon. On the flip side, we also heard from Super Ghouls and Ghosts on the SNES in 1991. The track we heard there was Ice Forest, and that was composed by Mari Yamaguchi. Yes, I believe that's also Stage 5. Now that I think about it, because let me think. The first stage is the forest area where you're walking through. And then the second stage for Super Rules and Ghosts is when you are in the water and on the ship. Right. The third stage is the hell stage. The fourth stage is when you're in the stomach of the monster. And then I think the fifth stage mm. is the ice caverns. So, huh. yeah. Yeah. Stage five versus stage five. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Very, pretty much. very different. Very different sounds. Very different <laughs> sounds. Well, Tim Fallon was known for basically going his own way, and that's fair. It's I, I totally think, fine. Yeah, I, I, I think his his way was was very good. Mm -hmm. I very much enjoyed that. The the one note that I made uh, was I thought there, that it was a good use of a theremin. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> there, was, there was definitely some theremin sounds in there that uh, that, that I thought were really well done. I just love that that really eerie beginning. That it's like a, it's like the wind is picking up and blowing really fast. Like that's the thing I really love about his music is it almost like in a lot of ways tells a story. Yeah, that it doesn't have to line up with the game, and in most cases it usually doesn't. So, <laughs> and that's totally fine. I I've not played the Commodore sixty four Goals and Ghosts, or if I did, it was like a while ago, like a long, long time ago, or whatever. But I don't remember it being really good. <laughs> the game itself, I just remember the music being great. Yeah, well, I mean, Ghouls and Ghosts was a ridiculously difficult <laughs> game, so uh, yes. you, you throw that uh, on a downport, and it's usually harder to play when it's a downport, mm. so you take a game that's just brutal to begin with and make it harder to play, and you might as well throw yourself off a bridge. It's weird because Ghouls and Ghosts is a sequel to Ghosts and Goblins. Oh. Ghosts and Goblins was originally on arcades right. and NES. The NES port was actually not done by Capcom. It was done by somebody else. Hmm. And then the game was ported to the Commodore 64, and I think the music on that was done by Mark Cooksey, but it doesn't sound anything like this Tim Fallon no, track no, not at all. At all. <laughs> no, the two are just totally two totally different soundtracks. I think, if I recall, Mark Cooksey tried to use something a little more familiar to the Ghouls and Ghosts 
or the Ghosts and Goblins soundtrack. But when you compare this Ghouls and Ghosts track to Super Ghouls and Ghosts, or even just Ghouls and Ghosts on the Genesis or Arcade, they just don't really compare at all. So Tim Fallon's just in his own magical land of awesomeness. Which is where he belongs, I think. Yes. He's done a lot of great things from there. Absolutely. Um, And and, and this is definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, On the flip side, the, the SNES track... Was it was a lot of fun as well. The, uh, the the low brass sounds that that are that come out of there. The bomb, 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 bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. they they kind of bring me back to um, Link to the Past. Yeah, yeah. They, they I know that they they weren't done by the same company, mm. so usually each company has the, sort of their own sound font. Sure. But the, that's just that's just where it took me. Yeah, um, yeah. I can see that. I also I also really really liked the the, the use of the uh, the piano in, mm. the, in the SNES one. It didn't sound like a lot of MIDI pianos don't sound enough like a piano to me mm. and this one this one did I was I was really happy with the way that it came out yeah the sound on this game was so crucial to getting a proper mix of like orchestral elements mm. with more like bombastic movie kind of sounds and I, I think that uh, the Ghouls and Ghosts soundtrack overall uh, for Super Ghouls and Ghosts the music really shines here I, I would say of the two tracks that we're talking about today, I'd probably go with the Tim Fallon track, just because mm-hmm. it's a little more up my alley, yeah. but I have so much nostalgia for the Super Ghouls and Ghosts <laughs> track, so it's it's tough. Obviously, Mary Yamaguchi is a Capcom composer, so she started off with UN Squadron in 1991, and basically did the sound design on that. She did all the tracks except for one, which was done by Junko Tamiya. And then Super Ghouls and Ghosts in 91, she did Mega Man 5, uh, the soundtrack for that, which, I don't know. I normally really like uh, Miriam Gucci, but I'm not a fan of Mega Man 5 soundtrack. Yeah. Magical Quest starring Mickey Mouse, she did the background music on that. Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition did the music design, probably just like a port of the Super NES version to, I think, the Genesis. Final Fight 2, she did the music. She did the soundtrack for Breath of Fire in 93. And then she's credited for Mega Man 10, where she did a track or two. Oh, nice. So, and then Tim Fallon, we've talked about before. <laughs> Lord and Savior of video game music. Absolutely. Uh, all the way back to just stuff like Agent X, uh, Ghouls and Ghosts, Bionic Commando, and Spider-Man, X-Men, Arcade Revenge. Yep, yep. Uh, Incredible Crash Dummies. (laughs) Just, you name it, it's awesome. So... (laughs) (laughs) Silver Surfer. Yeah, Silver Surfer. Great music, bad game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, game-wise, I love Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Uh, It's a super hard game. But it's a lot of fun. I remember playing it growing up, and I, I loved it. I remember it. having a lot more fun with Super Ghouls and Ghosts than I did with either Ghosts and Goblins or Ghouls and Ghosts. Yeah. Um, I mean, Super Ghouls and Ghosts is a very t- tough game, but it, it was more fun to play. I, I felt like Ghouls and Ghosts mm-hmm. was way too punishing for mm-hmm. me. Like it, it, I don't even I don't think I got past the first level. So Ghouls and Ghosts on the Genesis is a much more playable game, mostly due to the fact that there's not as much slowdown, and it's also a totally different game yeah, as well. Okay. But Super Goals and Ghost, there's it just reeks of slowdown. There's just so much slowdown in that game. Interestingly enough, it got ported to a Capcom Generations collection, which came out on the Saturn. Hmm. And so it's on a volume of that with Ghost and Goblins, Ghouls and Ghosts, and Super Ghouls and Ghosts, and it's 
been retooled, kind of retweaked for that with the superior hardware. Hmm. So it runs really smoothly, and it's like playing a totally different game. And it is a port of the NES game? So there's a port of the original Ghost and Goblins oh, game. Uh-oh. There's a port of the... I think it's either the arcade or Genesis versions of Ghouls and Ghosts. Okay. And then there's a Super Ghouls and Ghosts port, hmm. which is cleaned up quite a bit as far as the frame rate goes. So much cool. less choppy. To me, I can't play this game without the choppiness, <laughs> though. So even though it's more playable on that gen- Generations version, they also kind of tease you with some new tracks on that Generation version. Um, you, there's like some arranged versions of the music, and it's really, really good. But unfortunately it's not in-game music that'd be really really cool so all right let's move on to our next game what do you got for us so next up we're going to listen to the teenage mutant ninja turtles arcade game two different versions on the commodore 64 it was called tmnt the coin op i think that might have been the european release yes uh, and that was 1991. The track we're going to listen to right now is called music three by your own tell cool up we're gonna hear Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 the arcade game that came out on the NES in 1990 this track is called scene 3 part 1 and was arranged and composed by Kozo Nakamura And you're back. So we just heard two TMNT2 tracks. So on the Commodore 64, that was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles The Coin Op. And the track was Music 3 by Yaron Tell. And that came out in 1991. 
And the second track was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game, which came out on the NES in 1990. The track was Scene 3, Part 1, and Kozo Nakamura is listed as the arranger and composer, and Yasuhiko Mano is listed as sound design, so I wasn't sure if they had any part in the music, but it's worth uh, listing. Yeah, possibly. There's a good chance that they had something to do with the sound as far as the arrangement goes. They probably worked with Kozo Nakamura, either that or they did sound design for like the uh, actual sound effects or whatnot. But, right, uh, right. Yeah, so the coin-op, I don't know, not a lot to it. It's a good bouncy beat, but it just kind of doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not a bad track whatsoever. It's just kind of a meh track. (laughs) Uh, But I love that scene three, part one. Yes. It is such a good track. There's a lot more to it. Yeah, Kozo Nakamura uh, composed that originally, that track, because... That track was not in the arcade game. Right, correct. Yeah, I feel like there... So the the tracks are not really the same at all, but no. I feel like there is a little bit of... Almost like the the, the baseline of of the, the the main track on the NES is present in the Commodore 64, and I don't know if that was done on purpose. I don't know if there was any attempt to hmm. try to make the, the the song sound similar to hmm. the arcade or the, uh, the NES so. ones. And yeah. n- neither do I. Um, a lot of the NES tracks actually have sort of the Turtles theme hmm. built into them. Yes, and uh, none of the tracks that I heard on the Commodore 64 had that. So. Right. Yeah, a little bit more like electronic. Uh, almost like uh, electro style, especially with that dum 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 dum. It's 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 got that bounce like hip hop step vibe to it, but I think that the Kozo Nakamura track is it's an interesting track because it's so different from the rest of the soundtrack. It doesn't really have that TMNT like right, da, da, right. da 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 da. It doesn't have that in there. It's got a very kind of like solitude-esque vibe to it. That's what I get. And maybe that has a lot to do with the fact that it's a snow-based level. Right, yep. That's a good part of the reason why that may be the case. But uh, this is one of my favorite levels to play through just because it was so different. And I remember playing the arcade game as a kid and then coming, you know, renting this game and bringing it home and playing it and being like, this wasn't in the yeah, arcade a game. A whole extra level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow! Gee willikers, mommy! <laughs> Yeah, no, it's definitely a really fun game. I actually had not played the arcade game Mm. until later in life when I eventually came across it at Milford Rec, Smiles, Mm. whatever whatever we want to call it. Sure, sure. It was there at one point, but I had played the the, the NES version a whole bunch, so I I sort of had the opposite experience, because I I played it with friends in the arcade Mm. uh, so that we could actually get through everything, and I was like, we're... Where'd the snow level go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was it, it was still really cool. I mean, the the arcade game uh, you know, looks a little bit better. Mm, it's, it's definitely. I, I think it's a, you know what a sixteen bit. Yeah, yeah, more sixteen so. bit uh, style and design and everything. I mean, it's built on better hardware yep. in terms of you know technical specifications. But I still thought it was really impressive that they were able to cram the entire arcade game and additional levels. <laughs> And that Konami sound style, you know, typical Konami sound into a Turtles cart. And yeah. I often wonder what this would sound like with additional audio support. Like if it had like an FM, like a synth chip built into it, like the VRC7 or like the VRC6 or, you know, one of Konami's chips like built into the Famicom cart. Like that would have been so awesome. Oh, you're talking about like, like yeah, like the like, Famicom stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like uh. if, if there was like additional chips in there, like the VRC6 yep, or yep, 7. Yep. So. 
I thought, I thought you were going to say like if, if it had been composed on the arcade cabinet. Oh right, um, right. So that that would sound very different too. Well, if it was a VRC seven, then you probably could have like mm. brought the tracks from the sixteen bit hmm. you know game version over because that was all right, right. That was all FM synth style. So, but yeah, with with this with this wavetable stuff with the NES, it's just phenomenal. It's <laughs> it's all really well arranged by Kozo Nakamura working on all the music that came over from the arcade version. So yeah, yeah. even though the coin-op version on the C64 gameplay-wise looks and plays similar, it's uh, definitely a more run-down version of the NES port. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, there's... It- Definitely harder to play, a little bit more uh, frustrating, mm-hmm, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Kozo Nakamura, who, I mean, we already talked about your own tell earlier in the podcast, yeah. so we don't really have to talk about them, but Kozo Nakamura did yeah. quite a bit of stuff. Back in 1988 on Bio Miracle Bokute Upa, yes. uh, they did sound design. But, I mean, they did one of my favorite games, or they at least did sound editing on one of my favorite games, Gradius Mm 3. But getting into the music stuff, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1990. Turtles 3, The Manhattan Project in 91. Yeah, Yeah. Lone Lone Ranger. Ranger. Monster in My Pocket. (laughs) Yeah, great game. Yeah, Zen Intergalactic Ninja in 93. Rakuga Kids in 98. That was a N64 Japanese and European fighting game that Konami put out. It's kind of like Kitty style. Rakuga Kids, really fun game. Did Goemon Mono. Okay, Suguroku, Castlevania Legacy of Darkness did sound effects on. Pretty much been a Konami composer up until yeah. Konami Crazy Racers in 2001. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. good stuff, yeah. And a lot of those tracks from Konami Crazy Racers came from earlier Konami, Konami games. games yeah. So yeah, pretty much like remixing and rearranging those tracks. So, so our last pick which is my pick, is from Strider. And we're doing the Commodore 64 version. It is composed in 1990 by Patrick Cuppins or Mark Tate. I'm not sure which one, but it's one of those two. So (laughs) let's go ahead and give it a listen. The track is Unknown. Ooh. Next is Strider, the arcade version, and this came out in 1989. The track is called Siberian Wilderness Drive Wheel, and this is by Zor.
All right, welcome back. You just listened to Strider on the Commodore 64 and Strider on the Arcade. The Commodore 64 version came out in 1990. That was by either Patrick Cuppins or Supins. I'm not sure how to pronounce that last name. He also goes by Lion, apparently, L-Y-O-N. Either that or it was composed by Mark Tate. I was not able to find that much information on this. Coincidentally enough, the composer for the arcade version is Zor with X-O-R. That's his name. I have no, there's no information whatsoever online about Zor. I couldn't find anything. Hmm. So, Stage name, mysterious composer. Yes, Strider has mysterious people involved. So that was, yeah, the 1989 arcade release. That track was Siberian Wilderness Drive Wheel. So I got I to gotta find out your thoughts on these two. <laughs> what, what do you think? So I'm going to lead with the fact that I actually prefer the Commodore 64 track Ooh, over, really? the, over the arcade track. Okay. Um, I thought the arcade track was, was really nice, mm-hmm. but the, the thing that won me over on the Commodore 64 track is it had a very techno vibe to it. Yes. Um, and a very synth pop vibe, yes, I would say. Very, yeah. very techno synth pop. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed the pitch bend that they did, uh, that they used in there, mm-hmm. but just overall, like the, the sort of dark techno synthy vibe that, that, that it had that going. That bass line, that do, dig a do, dig a do, dig it. Yeah, I, love it, love uh, it. It actually, actually kind of reminded me of the Techie Pocky track from, uh, okay. from a while back that had the same sort of like dung, 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 dung thing going on. Um, the arcade track, not not particularly bad. I found so for one, it, it's a very Capcom track. Mm-hmm. Again, that's not a bad thing. I love Capcom music. Mm-hmm. Like they they have so many so many good games with great sounds. Definitely. The thing that I that I feel in the arcade track that that kind of lost me is the the the, the bass sort of like the driving bass line got a little muddy. Mm-hmm. And it just it, it it kind of was just this sound in the background. While they had the, this really cool like an ice track, it had the, the, those higher tones, the higher pitched yeah like, chimes and stuff. <laughs> kind of like a pitter patter in a way, yeah. like a do 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 with those like synths like towards the beginning. Yep. But m- what really hooked me on the arcade version was actually that bass line that in the beginning I thought yeah. it was really good it was really like thunderous yes. sounding and in in the front lines you've got kind of these like more twinkly mel- melodies that kind of came in it was very progressive to me like very like prog mm. rock prog metal kind of vibe yeah, that yeah. I got mixed with a little bit of Fear Factory for those like those bass lines so that's fair that that's kind of where it hit me as far as this track goes, but yeah. uh, I thought I thought it started off really strong. Yeah, um, yeah. and then just I mean I don't know if it was a combination of other things, but mm-hmm. towards the middle and end of the track, the like bass mm-hmm. didn't feel as strong, and it just felt kind of muddy. Okay, and, like, the, I guess I could see that the like the 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 melody and whatnot was a lot stronger, mm-hmm. and that that's where my mind was. But like the bass is what drew me in, <laughs> and when, when you draw me in with that, and then you kind of put it away, I'm like, but okay, well, oh, but, no, I don't but, care. But what about that bass that was over there? What about that bass? So no, I, I totally, <laughs> I totally get you. The Commodore. So basically, we flip flop. So I preferred the arcade version. You preferred the Commodore 64 version. Yep. So that's pretty interesting. So not a lot of information about these composers. As I said, uh, I know nothing about Zor. I couldn't find any information on Patrick Supins, Coopins, Coop Coop. I don't know. Let's call him Coop Coop. <laughs> P Coop. P Coop. P Coop. Let's go with that. And then Mark Tate, 
who is listed as an arranger or composer. I found his name somewhere on the web, but uh, ultimately when I looked him up, uh, his name wasn't actually listed. Hmm. With I found it credited in one spot for the game, and then in everywhere else on the internet, he's not credited. So if he did do it, then we can attribute it to him. And he also did like Indiana Cru- Jones in the Last Crusade, the action game in 1989, hmm. Call Me Psycho in 1988, Better Dead Than Alien in 88, <laughs> <laughs> which is an awesome name yes. for a video game. <laughs> <laughs> Better Dead Than Alien. And then HKM in 1989. And then the last game he came out with was another port. That was Black Tiger. That was a Capcom port in 1990. Mm. Interestingly enough, the company that worked on a lot of these Capcom ports was US Gold. Ah, yes. So they they actually published it. The game was developed by Tiertex for the Commodore 64. Mm. They did the Amiga, the Amstrad CPC, the Atari ST, the Commodore 64, the DOS, and the ZX Spectrum versions. Wow. So basically they did all the home computer (laughs) versions of this game. But that is the deal. And then of course this game was ported later on to the Genesis. And the arcade and Genesis versions are very comparable. Yeah. Um, You know, that that sold very well for for Sega, which was pretty good. And that's why they decided to make a sequel, which flopped. But... (laughs) Yeah. And then they just put them in all of their Marvel vs. Capcom games. Yes. And then in Strider also had Strider 2, which came out in the PlayStation 1, which I think also had a port of the arcade game on it on a second disc. Hmm. Strider 2, that one's a little more expensive now. And then Strider fairly recently was rebooted into Strider, which came out in 2014, I think, or 2016. Oh. Yeah. And that What's was... That? Yeah, that that's a crazy reboot. So that's like a more up-and-coming reboot for Strider. I don't, Strider always, to me, felt like the Captain Falcon of Capcom in the sense that mm. he didn't really ever feel like he belonged, you know, in, in Capcom's lineup of games. I don't know. Like, I always mm. would look at Strider and be like, I don't really consider Strider a Capcom character. I mean, I know, technically speaking, he is. <laughs> but just, like, the vibe I got from Strider was always, like, an outsider vibe. Oh, You know okay, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I like... Mean- it, I don't. I can't think of many other games that that Capcom made that were like that. Mm. I mean, he, it was. If I remember correctly, they're action platformers, right? It, yes. It kind of. I, I kind of remember them being almost like a, a Ninja Gaiden in a way. A little bit, yeah. It, there's a bit more of a focus on like grabbing onto, yeah. like like being able to essentially grab onto things above you and then like kind of cascade yourself, like you know, move yourself on, like, these ladder rungs almost, or, like, walking across, like, with your hands, mm. like, different platforms and stuff, gripping onto, like, iron grates and, and being able to use that to your advantage when it comes to platforming. There was a bigger focus on, I wouldn't say bigger focus on platforming, I would say that Strider for the NES, that port, which was not even really technically a port, it was more like just a completely different game. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I, I dig the Strider games, they're pretty cool. I think that the arcade version is better than the C64 version, but graphically speaking, the C64 version is very impressive for its time, despite the fact that they kind of like flip-flopped a couple levels, like oh. level 3 and 4, I think, are flip-flopped. Interesting. Yeah, like the port makes it so that the arcade version, level 4, is actually the Commodore 64 version of level three and Hmm. you know vice versa yeah yeah weird stuff but yeah so can't really talk about the composers because we we don't don't know (laughs) we don't know so 
that's pretty much it as far as our episode goes. So I thought this was a lot of fun. Yeah, we haven't done a, a versus type episode like this. Yeah. And it was definitely interesting to do. I mean, th- this particular topic, uh, as we said in the beginning, mm. was was a challenge to, to do research for. Definitely. Yeah, it was tough to gather music for it uh, and tough to try to figure out what would go kind of hand in hand yeah, as yeah. far as uh, music goes. But uh, it was interesting to see the, the different tracks line up. Some of them actually lined up based on the stages that yep. they were in, which was really cool. So... Uh, so final thoughts on your favorite tracks, and that includes like all the the Patreon supported tracks. What oh, yeah, what yeah. what was your favorite track of the episode? Uh, the Ghostbuster new Ghostbusters two track was really good, but the Golden Axe uh, Commodore sixty four track mm. and this uh, the Strider Commodore sixty four track. Okay, they 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 both feel like they're they're very much my type of music and right up my alley mm-hmm. but if i gotta choose one i think i'm gonna go for the golden axe track um mostly because hmm. it I, I, it felt very faithful to the original golden axe yep. that gets a lot of points and then it also it had that extra bit of that that opening which right. i thought was so was a really well done opening absolutely um i will also mention that the Tim Fallon track is highly ranked as well. Um, <laughs> there's no real good reason why I didn't pick it other than the other two tracks just grabbed me a little bit more. Mm. That one is a very close third. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Okay, so I'm going to say for the non-Commodore 64 tracks, mm-hmm. I would go with Strider. I was kind of very much impressed with Strider's music mm-hmm. going through it uh, to pick songs for this episode. And this track just, I, it's that chuggy bass yep. that really kind of grabbed me. <laughs> uh, otherwise, for the Commodore 64, I mean, I've heard the Ghosts and Ghouls and Ghosts track and I love it, but I, I'm going to give it up to Your Own Tell for the Golden Axe track. Yep. Yeah, same, same here. Yeah. I, I really really dig that. I also want to give a special shout out to that new Ghostbusters 2 track that, yeah, yeah. that intro track. That was really good as well. And I'm, again, same as you, I'm really bummed that that came, never came yeah. out here. <laughs> so we want to thank Alex Messenger for being part of our Patreon crew. He picked tracks based on the level of tier that he was donating to for the Patreon. So if you are interested in signing up for our Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash XVGM radio. So we want to give a shout out to all of our Patreon donators, our patrons, patron supporters. So Scott Meckelhone, uh, Chris Myers, Chris Murray, Cam Warma, and Alex Messenger. Thank you so much for being part of our patron find out again how you can also be part of this list on patreon.com forward slash xvgm radio you could also check us out at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash xvgm radio we want to know what your thoughts were on these tracks and which one was your favorite yes we do our our favorites at the end of every episode uh, the members of our Facebook group also tend to chime in and tell us what their favorites were. Mm-hmm. You can be part of that. If you're not on Facebook, you can email us at xvgmradio at gmail.com. Yep. Yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. I've also like to give a shout out to the VGM Podcast Fans group, which Alex oh, yes. has formed. Uh, you can check that out at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash VGM podcast fans. So lots of really cool people talking about video game music. A lot of other uh, video game music podcasters also in that group as well. So really good people talking about good music, all good times. So 
You could check us out on iTunes as well. Please give us a rating, a review, and just let us know how we're doing. If you like the podcast, what you want to see, if you want to see more, it's always really helpful for those ratings because it gets the word out there about the podcast. Yes. And lastly, if you want to check us out on social media, you can find us on both Instagram and Twitter. We are at XVGM Radio. And of course, XVGMRadio.com for all your XVGM Radio needs. Yes. Yeah. Episodes get posted there, and you can read other posts about things when they happen. Like <laughs> when we got our Instagram, we posted there. You can see more about us, as well as any guests that we have on the show. Uh, from episode five, we had Coda on, and he is listed under our guests section. So yes. You can read more about him and find him on the web if you absolutely like and every person who goes to xvgm radio gets a free chicken nugget how are we gonna do that uh we'll figure it out all right yep free. so <laughs> one free chicken nugget <laughs> one free chicken nugget limited one per person yes. for a lifetime yes for a lifetime <laughs> episode eight coming up is dat sunsoft bass mr gimmick we are talking about the fme7 chip and I am very excited to talk about this topic. Yes, this is, uh, I think, our first time really digging into the uh, the, the Famicom. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about one specific, specific game, game yes. and one specific chip, which was in that game. But most importantly, we're going to be talking about Dat Sunsoft Bass. That's right. <laughs> so from XBGM Radio, this is Mike. And this is Justin. Signing out. The Commodore 64 release was the Melbourne House release, not the Ocean release. Uh, that one came out in 1998, a year after... God, did I say 98 again? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> that one came out in 1988, a year after the NES release. Try, try it one more yeah, time, because yeah. I was laughing. Yeah.